Hello and welcome to the ESG Fitness Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to help you think, learn and grow and hopefully smile and laugh on the way too. My aim here is to break down your barriers to taking action and provide you with evidence-based diet and exercise information in a fun and interesting way. I hope I nail that and I hope you enjoy. If at any point you are enjoying this and you think, wouldn't it be great to work with Emma? You can head to esgfitness.co.uk to find out more information. Without further ado, because I hate long introductions, here is this episode. Hello and welcome back to Shona. How was your holiday? It was amazing. Thank you so much for asking, Emma. Um, I am back, not necessarily relaxed, refreshed, a little bit of sun. Lanzarote is really, really windy. I did not know that. It's like famous for being so windy. So it was a little bit colder than I thought it was going to be. But as far as like a first holiday with a baby goes, it was not good. Did you do any hikes or anything? No, literally just like he's 10 months old. He's not mobile. What? He's not even hiking yet. He's also really, really heavy. Um, He's like heavier than your average 10 month old. Um, And yeah, like there there is like volcanoes and stuff you can hike up. But I think that's maybe quite advanced, maybe like third, fourth holiday. But I know that everyone always goes there for like Club La Santa and like to do triathlons and stuff like that. Oh yeah, Club La Santa. Yeah, I know someone that works there. Uh, no, I was not there doing any triathlons. Um, I was just mainly hanging around the pool and the buffet. So oh, the buffet. Me. Right, that's our first topic, right? What do you want to tell me about the buffet? Okay, so I was at an all-inclusive hotel and that's the first time I've ever done anything like that. Like I'm normally someone who likes to go on a city break and like discover different places, but we'd heard that this was like a really easy option for taking a baby on their first holiday so and it it turns out it was but this hotel was amazing it had like six restaurants and it had two huge buffets um and you can eat in the buffet for breakfast lunch and dinner and the and these these rooms were absolutely massive they could seat maybe like 500 people each room um and it was like a study on human behavior obviously no judgment from me but it was just amazing watching what people do, how much they like they eat, what they choose, blah, blah, blah. Because like, so for example, the breakfast buffet, you there was like a whole cooked section. There was like this giant table of all the fruit. There was like champagne. And then there was like a, a dessert section. So there's like churros and waffles and pancakes, chocolate sauce, syrup, all these different like sauces and stuff like that. And that bit was so popular. And I was thinking like, no one would eat like that surely at home, but because it's there, people are like, oh. And even would you think that's partly why they went for it? Because they're like, I would never normally be able to have this for breakfast. And there's like that scarcity. Remember like the whole, like one of the main problems behind these like cheat meal days or like cheat days was you'd be like, even if I'm completely full and actually feel quite sick, I'm still going to force myself to eat these, like whatever Maltesers, because I'm not going to be able to have that again till next cheat day. And they might be like, well, I'm never going to be able to have waffles with for breakfast again. 
so I'll make sure that I like double down on it now mm. and, and the irony is there's like absolutely no lack of food while you're there like the, there's so much waste as well like people will fill up plates like there's like a table of six and people will fill up plates full with food for the table and then it will just go completely untouched um and oh that like, makes me really uncomfortable I don't like food waste yeah. Yeah, I know it makes me massively uncomfortable as well. So I, I, I hate I hate waste. So what I was doing was like putting little tiny like Shona was going around the tables once people had left and be like, I'll just eat this. Save me having to actually go to the buffet. I was just like choosing everyone else's choices. Um oh god, that'd be disgusting. Yeah, also like I wonder how much the the waste is impacted by the choice as well so if you go up and you're like there's so much choice I want to try everything and you're putting like 20 different things on your plate you're probably not going to enjoy any of them so you might eat a little bit of each whereas if you went up and just put like three different things on your plate you would enjoy them so much more like there is like do you not talk about a study with the jam like how people so it's not the jam study which is choice overload so that people don't buy but there is one on different yogurts and I think it's the difference between I don't know if it was just one or it was two varieties of yogurt and you'd be like do you want another one and they'd like no I've tried both of them not really fussed for it whereas if there was like five or six or there was like a higher variety of yogurts people would go back for more because they want to try different things and I think even more so in what you're talking about at like a buffet where you could it's quite easy to like eat some savory and then eat some sweet and then go back to eating savory and back to eating sweet and like the or changing in the palate of like what you're eating like it might be yogurt and then it might be something crunchy and then it that I think you could continue to eat more and more and more whereas if it was just like here's some scrambled eggs do you want more scrambled eggs you might be like Uh, pretty pretty done on that now it's much easier with like actually that constraint I think in so many areas of life constraint is actually so important even for things like for example creativity like constraint is so important or like just not overthinking things like so Amelia and I when we got here it was so loud here that we were like I think we're going to have to leave like we're not going to be able to do podcasts we're not going to be able to work and if we can't work like we can't really stay here so we're thinking about leaving then we're like well where would we go and I was like well we could go back to like where we flew into and then it was like well well we could just like we could go anywhere really because we could just fly out from that airport to literally anywhere and then we're like oh like god yeah we could we could go anywhere and then it was like too much like too much choice and we're like like that was completely overwhelming whereas when we were like actually no we we've got to do x y and z like it's so much easier to kind of get on with life when you have some constraints as opposed to when you can do anything and some I don't know if you've noticed this but some of your friends from school if you look back like the people who did the best at school I remember have struggled the most that or there seems to be in in my experience a correlation between that where they had options of doing anything like because they had all A's and they were so intelligent they could do anything and sometimes like I've noticed that a lot of them like started degrees and then changed or thought they wanted to do one thing and then decided to do another which certainly isn't a bad thing like I absolutely have started things and then changed my mind but I think when you are so like talented or educated or like have such ability that you can do anything it's very hard to constrain yourself to doing one thing and if you can't do that you'll never do anything well and I think more like or like more generally in life, 
you end up thinking about all of these different choices and you never like are present for one or enjoy one because you're like I could be doing x y and z and often that turns into procrastination because you spend more time thinking about your options than actually actioning anything and then I think the second part of that is like once you start actioning something and you've made a choice stop thinking about the million different options like once we made a choice that actually we are going to stay here for the week and then we're going to go back to where we flew in and we're going to spend a couple of days there then you're not constantly thinking oh but we could go to Ibiza but we could go here but we could do that and it's like then you can actually be present and enjoy yourself instead of thinking about where else you could be yes I totally agree I, I think that's a, a big thing with with holidays as you say because like there is so much option and you think I don't want to make the wrong choice so then you end up just not making a choice and actually like for things like that I love recommendations I love just being told what to do because then you're like okay that's fine I'll just I'll just take that path and t- it takes out the decision fatigue in a kind of different way like you don't even need to to worry about making a choice because like someone's given you the choice um and and, with and people decision- want that I think people think that they want choice but they don't like they actually kind of want someone to tell them what to do but it's that air of like you've still got autonomy because you're like oh yeah they've said it's a good place to go so I'm going to go there but I've still chosen to go there so you you don't feel like oh I've been told I have to go to Lanzarote someone else said that's a great place to go with kids so you're like okay well that makes it easy that's a that's a good reason to go there I'm just going to go and stop thinking about all the other options I'm reading this book right now um called the book you wish your parents had read about parenting have you heard of it oh I've heard of it but I've never like that literally I've heard the title it's it's really 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 good I'm really enjoying it and one thing that they talk about is like how adults versus children like adults are always like in a rush and trying to move forward and trying to live in the future whereas children very very much so live in the present and if you're trying to like rush a child along then that's gonna cause issues tantrums whatever but if you just like be in the moment with that child you can get them to move forward eventually but oh that book is really really good really enjoying it, it it's mm. it's kind of like therapy um when you when you realize like kind of like why things why, why you are conditioned to be a certain way because of things that might have happened right back at the very very start yeah, so, yeah. that is interesting so I listened to a podcast yesterday um no stupid questions which I love I think you'll like it as well but anyway they were talking about like how many kids should you have and they would they discussed some of the happiness research around having kids and I don't know if you know this but it's like quite famous although disputed research that on average people are like people are happier if they don't have kids that's like the average now there's so many different like facets to this where it might be slightly different so one one example they showed was that that isn't true in places like Denmark where they actually give enough support to parents where they actually give like paid time off and like enough paid time off etc etc and it's especially true in places like America where they don't get that where they don't get that same kind of support so actually they are less happy when they have children compared to in Denmark there isn't an effect or maybe they're even happier when they have children I can't remember but one thing that was interesting as well is that at least some research shows that women are less happy when they have kids and men so like fathers are more happy and it's probably because it affects a woman's life in a slightly different way, or maybe because she has to do a lot of the, and this is completely traditional. And I know that like, this might not be the same in every relationship, but traditionally women maybe have to not only obviously carry the baby and feed the baby for the first couple of months, years, 
um but they tend to do more of like the care roles as opposed to the traditional dad who's like oh come home and play football with the kids or you know whatever they they their life essentially doesn't change half as much as a a woman's life when they have kids but I thought that was quite interesting that there was a difference in in happiness between the two yeah I, I think that with America especially I just think it's amazing how women are now going to be forced to have babies but like you're not mm. like the thing about the abortions yeah and um, and then they're also not allowed to take time off for those babies like I think you get two weeks and then anything above that you just have to fund yourself I just cannot get my head around it so no wonder no wonder it's miserable um, I cannot I I didn't know that like I had no idea how bad the support mm-hmm. was over there yeah and this is a whole nother topic but I'm like such I, I find it so interesting the relationship between breastfeeding and then your your um, relationship with food moving forward so if if you're breastfed you are less likely to be obese when you're older how can you how can you establish that relationship breastfeeding relationship in two weeks and then if women have to go back to work after six weeks it's just not something that they can actually do so that'll be one of the one of the factors why obesity is so um it is so uh, rife in america yeah I mean, one of the many contributing factors. One of the, one of the I, many. I wonder, like, I wonder what the actual causal link is there, whether it is like the bond with the mother, whether it is the breast milk, whether it is that actually higher income families potentially are more likely to breastfeed for longer because they can take the time off work, but also because they're, and we know that you're more likely to be obese if you come from a lower income family because of food choices and potentially like education around food or you know many contributing factors yeah interesting very interesting well, it's a whole it's a whole nother topic and it is very controversial like it yeah. gets people triggered <laughs> yeah for sure okay so moving on <laughs> what questions do we have today right okay let me get them up they're all from Catherine what's she like what is she like well they're from her clients aren't they they're all from her clients no they're let's not let's all hope that her. that we kathy is okay oh, oh do you know like- what i was gonna say before we started um i have sat down in fact i was messaging Shona about this yesterday i sat down and did all of the type forms that have come in so far so all the information from clients that has come in so far for the next round of commit six and there always seems to be some kind of theme and sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe it's what I've mostly been talking about in my social media. But anyway, it's, it's really interesting to look through them each time. And this time we have quite a lot of heavier people, which I'm really happy about, because realistically, that's probably from a health perspective, who we can help most and who who I think will probably in many ways benefit the most from coaching. Now, that's only like I always kind of caveat that because but like being in a larger body might have impacts to your health, both physical and mental but you can have the same mental impact in a smaller body. And actually what we see a lot of the time with clients and with commit six, and sometimes what I think is the most um, impactful benefits that people get is improved relationship with food. So going from like, I feel trapped that I can't eat these foods. I can't go out that like, I'm thinking my whole life is consumed by thinking about foods to, I have that freedom that actually I don't even think about it that much anymore. Or I feel so much more 
in control of it but not in a negative way not in control of it as in I need to think about it all the time but so much more brain energy to think about other things Mm. so that can happen no matter what your body size is but anyway it was it was nice to see that and the theme before that our last intake was so many perimenopausal women which was awesome and I guess that probably was because I was talking about it a lot um but yeah we I I inundated Catherine with every single one of them so last intake she had so many check-ins I think you actually did huh I I I mean I probably did I probably wrecked her immune system (laughs) because I remember doing like Kimberly sending over like the numbers for all the coaches and I was like nah surely that's wrong for Catherine how many check-ins she'd done in a month I was like wow uh anyway yeah I'm very excited about the next intake now yeah um she's amazing okay so first question is um I have PCOS I when I was diagnosed 25 years ago I was told strictly no carbs when I properly started taking care of myself nutritionally and physically six to seven years ago I consciously ate lower carbs not keto though is this actually necessary? Does it make a difference to people with PCOS? It's not inherently necessary, but it might be a benefit. And if you think about, so one thing that can happen with PCOS is you have reduced insulin sensitivity. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you'd have to eat lower carbs. But one of the things that insulin does is trick or tells your brain that it increases satiety effectively so reduces hunger and one of the benefits for many people of a lower carb diet is increased satiety so I mean it's obviously working for you it's not that you absolutely have to go on a low carb diet and I want you to have the flexibility that if you're like oh I'm going to France for a week and I want to try the boulangerie you know like I want to try all the croissants and all that kind of stuff then you should absolutely be able to do that and you will be absolutely fine but if on a day-to-day basis eating a slightly lower carb diet suits you and is already working for you then I think it's like it's a good thing to do but yeah with PCOS you don't you don't have to go on a low carb diet it is often suggested and it certainly will work if you're also in a deficit and it will certainly improve PCOS outcome if yeah if you are overweight um but you don't the doctor said um strictly no carbs that's what a doctor said 25 years ago which is like mad what so you saying as a doctor you're saying don't eat any fruit like isn't that crazy though how something someone said 25 years ago still has an impact on the way she eats because she's not zero carb but she still like actively eats less carbs yeah well I mean I think it's it's the authority thing as well right something your doctor said 25 years ago is probably still going to stick with you Mm -hmm. yeah I am had uh someone join unit four recently and I was like taking her through various movements and she said a physio had said to her like when she was like in her 20s she had a flat back and um she would struggle with this movement this movement this movement this movement because she had a flat back and I was like like how first of all I don't even know like isn't your back meant to be a bit flat like she was like just down here it's quite flat and I'm like isn't a lot of people's back quite flat there second of all how helpful is that being told that from a physio 
Like you've got a flat back. What can you do with that information apart from internalize it and let it limit you as you, as you try and get back into exercise? I was like, that sounds like bullshit. We'll just work around it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless she's, yeah. Has it affected you so far? Like, had you noticed that beforehand? Like, is it no, even, not- like any, any good physio as well, or like all of the, medical literature suggests that even when you look at MRIs there could be something that looks like it would be a problem like it could be that you get an MRI and actually you do have a disc that's slightly out of place if it's not causing you any pain there's no problem in that that's why they're not actually that good for diagnosis Hmm. I'm noticing a lot more physios now are like working with pain management and realizing that pain is like just such a huge topic and even the way that you speak to a client can have an impact on that pain it's not it's not just a case of like oh you need to do this exercise and this exercise it's like it's so holistic um so I'm noticing like there has been a shift because I follow a lot of physios for some reason um but yeah oh the pain stuff is is like mind-blowing I had complete like phantom pain after back surgery because every time I bent down I used to have pain and even though the cause of that pain was technically gone I would still get pain and part of it was like the neural connection of Uh every time you bend over you will have pain and so and that's a lot of people misinterpret that I think as so you weren't actually in pain no it's like no the pain is real it's just there isn't a cause for it anymore so you need to kind of like work on rewiring those networks and let your body essentially know because pain is a, is a signal from your body that this isn't safe. And so that's what it still thinks. So you have to reassure your body that that is now a safe movement and that it shouldn't be sending off alarm signals, i.e. pain. Mm. Yeah, that was what um, I I got, was uh, schooled on recently and it, and it has totally opened my eyes. So there's this... Um, thing that affects a lot of pregnant people called pelvic girdle pain and historically what people were told was that it was the bones in their pelvis moving apart and the word that quite often physios or doctors midwives would use was unstable and now we know that first of all it's not helpful to be told that like a big part of your body is unstable like that is a horrible feeling like oh my god it's, it's unstable it's gonna fall apart and obviously that anxiety that as you said like the worry of this area being not what you think it is is probably going to cause a lot of pain and so we now know that it, we don't actually know the reason for pelvic, pelvic girdle pain like it's not known um so yeah I I had I had shared that on social media and then I was like oh shit like a pelvic floor physio was like Shona no um oh I, okay that was that yeah I mean it, that kind of stuff's so interesting I think that we mm. all well, the diet industry, even like good coaches and stuff do this terribly, even with the words that we use to describe foods, like not anyone's fault really, but like healthy and light lunch actually get, gives in your head, insinuates not many calories, mm. which then means well, I'll probably be hungry after a quote unquote light lunch. And we know that if you call the same lunch with the same, like exactly the same meal, indulgent versus light you will be physiologically more full from the meal that you think is indulgent than the meal that you think is light not just my perception but my actual physiological levels of hunger from like blood tests 
that's mm-hmm. that's mad so whenever we we I always try and go over this at the start of every commit to six that your mindset coming into this is so so important your expectations are so important it's the same as what you're talking about like if you have these like scary words around I think the same thing there's a lot of pushback against using the word slip disc as well it's like your disc hasn't slipped like it's not break that isn't what's actually happened but what like you know what word do you want to call it and like sometimes you can be like well it's just kind of pedantic but actually that can impact the experience that someone has of it Mm -hmm. I remember this at the dentist like when I I had I had to get root canal and while she was doing it my tooth cracked and she said there's nothing we can do oh and I was like (laughs) like like it was so drastic it was like no words followed that it was like what I'm gonna die like there's nothing you can do like what's gonna no more eating for you yeah and then she and then I was like well like what do I do then like if if, it's like there's nothing we can do and what she actually meant was I'm gonna have to take this tooth out but what she could have said is I'm gonna take this tooth out and actually it's so far back and because you have all your other teeth that it probably won't matter but if you want you can get like a replacement tooth I don't know why everyone needs to know my dental history but <laughs> the point is like it's like kind of like the bedside manner right of like there's not nothing you can do yeah it's just you can't do the root canal like but that like I was like stressing out for whatever <laughs> probably only a couple of seconds until she said some more words but I was like yeah. why would you why would you say that like yeah. it's so it's one of the benefits of like putting yourself in the shoes of a client or a patient and then you realize actually how impactful just your mannerisms are and as a one-to-one coach as well someone coming into like a crossfit box can be really intimidating and if you're like I don't know just say something that you might not think is particularly like triggering or but Mm. actually really can be so thinking about your words and how comfortable you make people feel can have such a big impact on their experience yeah yeah 100% like I always take part in CrossFit classes like at my gym and I'm always sort of like picking up little tips and one of my like he's a he's a really good friend of mine like he was like helping me with a movement and obviously like my shoulder mobility is really not good right now because I'm like holding a baby a lot um, and he was like, yeah, your shoulder mobility is what's holding you back right now. And you're not, you're not going to be able to do this until you work on it. And I'm like, I don't have the time. And that little conversation has just been really demotivating me. I'm already like trying to run businesses. I'm already trying to like train. I don't have time to do this extra stuff. And so I think like it could have been worded so, so differently. Um, and I, And yeah, I always like, clock that way that I speak to my clients as well like expecting them to think that that's a priority like you're like come on you need to work on your mobility they don't care like they're still trying to hit this habit this habit this habit like all that extra stuff it's just like overloading people but yeah Mm. Um, yeah I think it's giving people the information and then giving them the autonomy to like make Mm. that decision themselves so that actually I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this because I think you'll have good thoughts I was speaking to a friend who has a 14 year old who's just started like dabbling in alcohol and obviously like as a parent like you don't want your kids to be drinking alcohol but if you say you cannot drink alcohol like that's that's probably not going to work but if you can give them the information that they come to it like by their own 
means like I remember that my mum was like well you know you'll have to deal with the consequences if if you want to drink alcohol she certainly didn't like give me the alcohol but I don't think it was forbidden in this in the same way and actually like knowing that it would mean I wouldn't be as fresh for my training on Sunday morning meant that like I wouldn't go out and drink and but the point was it came from me like it was my decision and that's why I stuck to it and that mm. that's why I didn't go out drinking at 50 well I think I did for about a year and then and then I got really into athletics and I was like it's not worth it to me um but how do you go around that like if you like or how will you go around that I think what your mum did was 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 brilliant like she she did say that there is consequences to these actions like it is ultimately your choice and she's given you she respected you as a 14 year old as a teenager like didn't just assume that you're going to be like an idiot and make the wrong decision so she was like look here here are the outcomes this is the impact that alcohol would have like you really enjoy this part of your life which is all the the training and exercise and sports that you do and that would maybe take away from that so yeah maybe you want to do it maybe you don't want to do it so I think like what she did was was amazing and actually when you were telling me that story I was remembering my first holiday to Malia when I was 17. First of all my mum let me go on holiday for two weeks to Malia when I was 17. Wow. I know I know I don't know how I'm still here on this planet but anyway um before I went we had this like jokey conversation and she said don't do this don't do that don't like one of the things I remember her saying is don't go in the sea at night but she didn't explain why and then I went in the sea at night fell <laughs> hurt myself on rocks and then woke up the next morning and it looked like someone had been murdered in my bed so she, she also said don't get a quad bike I got a quad bike the quad bike got stolen by the Greek mafia it was it was a disaster um <laughs> So yeah, I think just like telling someone don't do it doesn't work. You need to be empowered with the knowledge of why not to do something. Yeah. And is that sometimes like, would it be useful? Well, I don't know. Like, is then that just like scaring people into not doing it? Like if she said, mm, yeah. don't get a quad bike because actually one of my friends got a quad bike and now they're dead. Like you'd be like... <laughs> I don't know like would that would that stop you or I don't know because I mean you could say that a lot about alcohol right yeah because uncle Tony was an alcoholic or whatever mm. I mean one thing I would say about like that she did let me go there for two weeks she she obviously to an extent did trust me and I was I was able to make all those mistakes myself and learn from them um so yeah maybe there's an element of that as well I think as a parent you have to accept that that like yeah. they are going to drink at some point they are going to have to learn from it and you kind of hope that they go through that experience without making too many mistakes that can't be undone like they will make mistakes of course but like yeah like not too many big mistakes how boring would life be if you hadn't made any mistakes yeah I was thinking about this the other day because a client checked in and was like She's very self-aware, right? But she she would allow me to say this. She was almost complaining about how incredible her life is. And I know she'll listen to this, so I know that, that um, 
that she'll know who she is because she's just been like away on this amazing like Mai Tai experience and then she went on like a training camp somewhere else or it was like a exercise in like Thailand or something somewhere amazing and then she was in Canada for work and then she was going to New York City on the way home right so obviously a, an incredible amount of traveling which and also she's been in America and Thailand going around, like you end up eating too much and maybe not or you're just out of your routine right so it's much harder so much socializing and I know that one of her highest values is socializing making friends etc cetera, etc cetera. and then I was thinking about it I think sometimes it's hard to see the benefits of socializing because you don't see the benefits of not socializing so you wouldn't think like let's say we'd met on a night out if I'd never gone to that night out I wouldn't be like well by not going to that night out I really missed out on this incredible friendship that I have with Shona because I would have never seen it like I can't see what I don't know Hmm. whereas if if like someone told me now in retrospect you know Emma if you were so into dieting that you didn't go out on that night you would have never had these friends that you met that night and Hmm. like they've been so impactful on my life that like I would never swap saving a couple of hundred calories for not going out on that or never swap five kilograms of body fat for not going on that holiday where I met x y and z people and I discovered this about myself and blah 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 but because if you miss that opportunity or if you say no to that then you don't see that what you're missing out it's quite hard Uh, to conceptualize it's a hard one to quantify um but I think like I, I listened to Amelia's last podcast and it talks about like connection and, and actually talk, she talks about loneliness and how lonely, loneliness is like actually one of the biggest killers of people um and actually I was like oh my yeah like it, it, you really I think as well we take it for granted that we've got loads of friends that we've got families that we we uh, even though we work online uh, we make a priority to actually spend time and connect with people every day and you absolutely take that for granted there's some people that just don't have that privilege in their life like they they can go entire days without speaking to another human being or even looking at another human being so do you think that loneliness is always about not being around people though like I think there's an element of that but I think it's probably like if you get it to its core it's probably more about not having people in your life that you can be with and be yourself with as opposed to because I know loads of people that would potentially say that they're lonely but they spend all day at work with colleagues but if you're not truly connecting with someone or they spend all day at a gym with like thousands of people coming into the gym or hundreds of people coming into the gym but you can still be lonely if like you don't feel like you have true connections with people yeah yeah if you feel like all your relationships are surface level Mm. I think I think rather than because loneliness like if you if you look at the people who are who are dying of loneliness it's elderly people and and literally just just human interaction can have an impact on that so like just having someone visit their house and have a cup of tea with them it's not they don't even need deep conversation it would just be company but I would say humans we also crave intimacy like rather than just surface level well I know myself like I, I love intimacy in a relationship like not just a romantic relationship like friendships as well I love sharing things with people so I think like it's that rather than loneliness yeah yeah 
Yeah, and it's nice to know that you're thought of as well. Like when you sent me that picture of a tree, you were like, this tree reminded me of you. That was cute. And you're like, oh, that, that means you're on someone else's mind. And that like that, even that kind of stuff, I think, yeah. makes you feel less lonely. Yeah. Oh, did you feel lonely? No, I didn't like I didn't feel lonely, but I felt even less lonely than I already felt. So there well, you go. That's also because I know I know you and I know what would make you happy. And it was that tree. A, yeah, then you picture of a tree and be like, that tree reminds me of you. And it actually was like, it was like kind of like you were like, why? <laughs> because it's like a big, like crusty looking tree. But actually, it was really rather beautiful. It had a strong yeah. trunk and uh, lots of branches. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was great. Um, I think the other interesting thing that I spoke about a while ago, and I don't know if we ever had this discussion, but I read something, it was from, probably from some psychologist or something, and I was like, oh, that, like, that's an interesting question. And it was something like, are you an introvert or are you just hanging around people that you can't be yourself around? And that's what's fatiguing. Because I think like, that's fatiguing for anyone. Like, even I don't know, if, you've, if you've been at like, an expo or you've been doing one of your like, speaking things, like where you are putting on a, a front, to an extent it's not that you're not being true but it's like you have to be like the I don't know whatever the the version of yourself that you need to be on stage or however you're presenting that can be quite fatiguing whereas mm. actually and I find being around certain people fatiguing and I, then I wonder is that because I have to put on a certain front and that actually might not come from them it might come from me that I feel like I have to be a certain way around this person they might not yeah. care at all but I might find that fatiguing whereas people that you can like truly be yourself around you don't find it hard to be around them the whole time yeah yeah and I think like in the context of like do a conference like you, there's not lots of people that you don't know and I think like level up after level up everyone was talking about how exhausted they were I yeah. actually felt I felt really energized by it I, I was like Totally but and you're a total people, extrovert right yeah and actually totally. people give you energy oh yeah I I don't really like alone time I like feel the most energy when there's loads of people around and especially loads of like positive people who are who are like excited to be there too so I think that was like an ideal situation for me but yeah thriving I think, like, it, thriving yeah I wasn't just showing a living I was showing <laughs> a thrive yes you were but yeah um interesting I, I don't know if I really like the introvert or extrovert chat it's just another theory isn't it yeah and I think one, like is it a useful label don't know sometimes I think maybe it's useful to like for how someone wants to be treated or like an explanation of why they maybe just need some time alone I don't know I actually feel that that way about the attachment types as well mm. I feel it's quite limiting um especially like in the in the context of listening to this book because this book talks about attachment types and how they come from do you think they come from your parents and the way you were raised that's like that was the initial theory wasn't it I yeah, think it could happen at any point of your life. And I think yeah, often yeah. when you speak to people, it's like, no, you're you're now an avoidant because 
you fell in love with someone at 16 and they cheated on you or something and it's still like there's still an element of that that's that means that you don't want to get into a relationship with someone Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so I feel like that that one the frame is that it was your mum's fault (laughs) it was your mum's fault right and there's nothing you can do about it I don't necessarily agree with that because we are we are a product of our environment not just like your parents um and everyone around you so yeah I think you're right like it could just be where you're at right now you have like no interest in creating a secure attachment so avoidant is the best way to deal with it yeah yeah I think the same is true with personality types and there's been quite a lot of research on this that like I and I'm willing to bet that if I filled in one of those personality type questionnaires on one day compared to another day or if I was thinking of it like almost like work Emma compared to social or like my personal life Emma they're completely different like I'd have a red compared to a white or whatever the colors are then mm-hmm. I think that that's just like some people base so much off that and like we all change and I'm willing to bet uh, 10 years ago I had a completely different one than I do now yeah yeah I think it, it's it's healthy to have the different hats isn't it mm. like the Emma that you are when you're working is is different from the Emma that you are when you're when you're not working when which yeah. is like five minutes on a Sunday <laughs> at 3 a.m <laughs> yeah while I'm asleep basically yeah. <laughs> um I think I think why they're useful is for you to get to know yourself much like journaling right you ask these like because you, you're going through these questions and you're like oh that is actually how I would respond and then it kind of makes you question do I want to be an avoidant or do I want to mm-hmm. respond like that or is that something I can change about myself rather than have it like almost have the opposite effect where you've now put yourself in this box where that's just how I behave because that's who I am and that must have been because my mum you know did whatever when I was x x years old and didn't come when I cried or blah 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 like Mm. I don't know how helpful that is you know I I read something that I was like this is such a good thing to apply to anyone starting commit to six instead of thinking about self-acceptance think about self-discovery oh I like that and then once you know better do better like that's what it's about though like you discover what it is and then once you know that then you can Mm. change it we were just talking about that on the EIQ webinar right Lewis was talking about like once you've identified what that trigger is that's making you overeat like why is it useful kind of identifying it in hindsight like you need to be able to put that pause in and make changes and it just takes time it's like getting to know yourself and once once you truly know, like, these are, these are my triggers, this is when I'm most likely to overeat, then you do start to foresee it. But it does take time. And it's not as simple as, oh, I've realised it's tiredness or I've realised it's stress. That means it'll stop. No, so, like, it still might happen when you're tired or when you're stressed. But mm. then you account for that and you review it and you're like, how can I make that not happen next time? Or maybe it does happen again. But actually, yeah. the next time, maybe it doesn't. Or it doesn't happen as, ob- as, as frequently. Maybe it's every... I don't know three out of five times that you're stressed instead of five out of five times that you're stressed and then that slowly gets down and that's that's how improvement like happens but I think some people have this unrealistic expectation of as soon as they realize this or as soon as they start journaling or as soon as they've discovered they're an avoidant or blah 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 blah, that suddenly like they'll know exactly what to do Mm -hmm. yeah yeah the journal's amazing I've I've started it's really good um so is, is you going to put a wee link up to get the journal? I, well, I'm, so I'm releasing two. So there's a commit six one, which is just for commit six. Right, okay. 
and then there's the BJ, which, which is, is the values journal, which right. is very similar, but it has some of the bits that are quite commit to, to commit to six specific taken out. So that's for anyone if they don't have to be on commit six. Right. Okay. So is that coming out in June? Yeah, end of May. So you can see it's the VJJ. <laughs> oh, the VJJ. Yeah, it's coming out in June then. Yeah, that's it. There we go. Angie replied to my story and was like, I know I have a really um that oh childish whatever. She's like, it just made me think of Jaina. I was like, yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah. Like, that's oh, the yeah. Whole, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Already got that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, we're um, on the same page. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have questions oh yeah we've got uh, two more questions sorry that was such a good discussion wasn't it we just went I know we a great start. tangent yeah so many tangents but okay so the next question is uh, so let's talk about the inaccuracies around active calories burned versus resting I'm curious on your view of the why the watch is inaccurate on calories does it over or underestimate weight training typically burns 250 calories according to my watch but I know that the calorie burn continues into the day how do you then know what your maintenance calories are Great question. Look, they're, they're all inaccurate. And the problem is the research shows they're not even consistently inaccurate. So do you know what else is inaccurate? Your step count. Like you will have, and loads of people have done this. I don't really know why, because it's not really that interesting, but they'll be like, I wore an Apple watch and a Fitbit and tracked it on my phone. And they're all different. That means step count's inaccurate. It doesn't matter because if you're consistently inaccurate, within a small margin of error, like maybe it says you did 10 more steps one day than you did and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really matter as long as you've got that consistent baseline to go off. So if your Apple Watch says you do 10,000 steps, but realistically you did 9,800, it doesn't really matter, right? You know that if you want to increase your expenditure, you're going to have to do 10,500 or whatever. You have a baseline from which to work from. The problem with the calorie burn on these watches is they aren't even consistent in their inaccuracies so you can't use them and the when you're asked I think she asked like how do they figure this out we don't know exactly because they don't release the equations that they use to figure it out some of them at least claim that they use heart rate which would be slightly more valid than I don't know, because they might just be guessing steps one step equals x calories or something like that which would obviously be totally different if you were wearing a backpack or if you were a heavier person or if you were a less fit person or if you were walking up a hill blah 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 blah. so many things come in so if you were using heart rate it's a little bit more accurate but it's not that much more accurate like your heart rate could still increase drinking coffee and yeah you might burn a little bit more calories because of the thermic effect but you're not going to be burning as many calories as if you're walking but your heart rate might look relatively similar in the two situations so it's just not a perfect science and it's just not something I would bother looking at. And you don't need to know it that accurately. Like the, towards the end of this question, how do you know your exact maintenance then? You don't. You don't and you don't have to. Like we don't, we actually don't know that. We don't have that much accurate data on any calorie tracking or any calorie expenditure. The only way you can get really accurate data is by sitting in a metabolic chamber which will measure gas exchange so that would give you a really accurate measurement of your energy expenditure it's completely useless because that's you sitting in a room all day what use is that to anyone nobody actually lives like that 
so it's not like that would give you like your resting metabolic rate which again has no bearing to real life like mm. you wouldn't do anything with that data really so yeah you don't you don't need to know it is essentially the, the crux of it and I think we can get so bogged down in all of this data and forget that people were losing weight 10 years ago before anyone had a Fitbit yeah <laughs> you just simply don't need to get that stressed about the the amount of calories that you're burning or not burning but a good yeah. crude measure of that is counting your steps or knowing that I do four workouts a week and this many steps a week and that's like the main contributors to my energy expenditure that I have control over there are other ones like thermic effect of food or resting metabolic rate that you have less direct control over so you, you're going to focus on the exercise and the activity level that you're that you're doing and then the other side of the equation which is your energy intake those are the things that we look at but you don't need to look at, at it in anywhere near as much detail as what people think and you, you also like you don't need to have an exact deficit of 425 calories because that's 20% off like it's like some kind of deficit that is significant enough to actually see results whether that's and I mean a lot of people would get very similar results on 1800 calories or 1600 calories like that kind of stuff it doesn't matter as much as what people think mm -hmm. so do you think it's it says does it over or underestimate it's just something that you don't need to worry about no, I think no. it usually it overestimates exercise. Yeah. Especially resistance training. And the, sorry, the part after that about, but then you burn more calories for the rest of the day if you've resistance trained. That's technically true, but not enough people ask the next question, which should be how many more calories does it burn? Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunately really low. It's like a tiny increase in your basal metabolic rate, which equates to something like, maybe an apple if you're lucky like it, it's not it's not massive it's just that people like that little fact if you do hit training in the morning you'll burn more calories for the rest of the day that sounds great but I, can't, I still can't get my head around why people aren't like but how many more yeah um I wonder if like you're you're I don't know um first of all we don't exercise to burn calories that's not the, the purpose of exercise or your weight training especially but I wonder if like if you're the sort of person who's like looking at how many calories a session is burning then you're maybe going to be like trying to beat that each time and I wonder how if that's helpful because again that's getting I you don't think it. you're wondering though are you you're like that's <laughs> not helpful <laughs> I wonder, I wonder. <laughs> it's going to lead you to this this answer no it's not helpful and also yeah. that would mean that you, if that was the case, if your workout was measured by how many calories that you burn, we would have, and that was like the definitive, most important thing. We would have you doing moderate intensity cardio every single session. So we'd have oh. you at the highest intensity at which you could maintain for like 40 minutes, if that was how long your session was. And that would be boring as hell. And you wouldn't build much muscle doing that, if yeah. any. Boring boring okay one last question uh what do you most appreciate slash learn from each other as coaches oh, this is such a good question great question um okay so i i listen to the the lives even if i'm not on them and what i, I love, love that <laughs> because i listen to the question 
and I have a little think about what I would say and then it always blows my mind what Emma, Andy and Catherine say because I'm like that's such a good answer and we and we all answer differently like yeah. we all have different approaches to it and that's that's the beauty of having like a team of coaches isn't it um absolutely I was thinking about that today because oh actually I won't say her name in case she hasn't announced <laughs> her pregnancy but one of the committee's members is pregnant and she was working with Andy and it's amazing that we can then just be like oh well we have an expert so now you can work with Shona like it's very rarely that we ever have to like refer people because no matter what stage you're going through whether that's pregnancy perimenopause or you know whatever or I want to change the performance goal and I really want to build muscle and Andy's freaking awesome at that like then we just we can quite easily move coaches like that's yeah. pretty phenomenal yeah um and and even like something about mindset we would all answer differently because we we all deal with it differently like I love Andy because um first of all he's got a completely different approach to like to maybe Catherine like maybe they're on other ends of the spectrum like uh, Andy's going to be so much more direct but that might land differently with someone someone might need that direct approach also what I love about Andy is that he's been in the industry probably longer than any of us but he is so open to learning and open to being questioned, which I think is such a, a great, great quality in a coach. I don't think I know anyone with as much experience who is as good at taking feedback without yeah. an ego. And mm. that, that's, I mean, it makes it so easy for me as well, that if I ever need to say anything to Andy, I don't have to think, oh, I wonder how I should word this so he's not offended by it. I'm just like, this is how it is. Mm. And he takes it on board every single time. Yeah. And he's just doing a new course as well, actually. What's he doing? Yeah. I think it's something to do with programming, but there was a bit on steroids on it, or like performance enhancing drugs that he was telling me about that it seemed really interesting. Hmm. I'll have to get um, him to tell us on the podcast. Yeah, it always amazed me. Like, I just wish everyone could do AF mentors, or AF mentors had been a thing like back in the day. But like when I would be working in like pure gym, and a new PT would start. And I, I'm always the sort of person, like, I, I want to, I'm like a sponge. I want to, like, take from everyone and learn from everyone. But so many PTs start and they're like, I know what I'm doing. And, and I would be like, if you ever need anything, I'm always here. No, I'm fine. And that just amazes me. I know. Because, like, you, you learn nothing, basically, doing your, your level two, your level three. You learn from, you learn from other PTs. You learn from you know experienced training clients like you don't know everything the moment you start like you don't know anything yeah I mean I, yeah. I, I like I change my mind on things all the time the older I get the more I realize like wow I'm, I don't really feel that strongly about things I'll change my mind next week probably <laughs> yeah and what's that all, like the saying as well like if you look back on what you were saying a year ago and you agree with everything like you've not grown in a year mm. that's not a good thing Mm -hmm. okay so the things that I like or appreciate most I think about Catherine is caring compassionate always over delivers from what I've seen like to a ridiculous amount um is truly phenomenal at working with menopausal clients now because she's had so many as we just discussed uh and I think that that's that's one of the keys of 
she's done a lot of research behind it as well like as we all have but it's the you can you can be good at something from doing a course or doing research or doing your PT profit you know whatever you you're good or you're like at a level that you have understanding but you can only ever be great from working with loads of people Mm. like I don't think you can ever be a great coach if you've not worked with loads of people or Mm. had loads of clients and that's the experience side that comes in yep yep I love Catherine I learn so much from her all the time um, she's really, really, really intelligent, and really knowledgeable about lots of things that I'm not so knowledgeable about. So I'll, I'll, I message her probably every day, being like, "Can you help?" And also like just bouncing ideas with my own business off her because she is an AF mentors coach now, isn't she? Yeah, she does. Like, yeah, calls. she's really good at that. Yeah. yeah, she's really, really helpful. It's, it's just great to have like an outside eye like a different yeah. perspective perspective is so important in business it's so hard to yeah. see it for yourself and even if you're just one one step removed like the vision that you have for other people is like much clearer than the vision you can see for yourself because you're so so close in it mm-hmm. yeah and do you know what I love most about Shona emotional intelligence <laughs> like that's funny thank you yeah I think that's what I love most and that you're so unique like I never see you which in the industry is probably quite common but I don't think I've ever seen you copy anything like you're so unique and you and even if you've like taken inspiration from something it's very much like reapplied in a different way or with your own personality and your own spin on things which makes which is why I know you'll do so well because you stand out and because you're not like there's always something that I think that you'll add oh thanks thanks you're welcome even if it is just a silly comment no I think it's normally just a different perspective and you do it in a nice way as well in that you're not like yeah you could think of it like that but I think of it like this it's like oh like it's like additional not Mm. not subtracting from anyone else it's like adding so that is a rule that I try and live my life by and it's it comes from um like it comes from drama school so if you're doing an improv game like improvisation the rule is that you always yes and so if you say I am in a lift right now I'm like yes and there's a balloon in the air and like you're like yes and it's red and it's about to pop and I'm like yes and it's gonna make a like that sort of thing um rather than being like no like yeah. that yeah, just yeah. ends it so yeah I sort or of even like to... but sometimes yes. but blah, 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 blah. it could be and in this situation Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so yeah try and live by the yes and yeah mm-hmm. well you're doing it well because I noticed oh, it thanks, without even thanks. knowing what that was thanks is that the end of our questions um oh yeah I didn't even say what I appreciate learn from you that well. should be a podcast oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's to what no it'll be a series of podcasts each like an hour and a half long uh 20 episodes stop stop no but I think like I am massively proud of the group of coaches and I, I think that there's such like going through that the type forms yesterday as well exactly what Shane is saying like I could be like yeah this person probably needs this approach definitely Catherine this person probably needs this approach or is also trying to balance CrossFit who knows most about CrossFit like definitely Shane and it's so easy to place people 
because of like their needs and I know that they're going to get the best support and it's so good that we're all so different and approach it in slightly different ways that mm-hmm. everyone will get the support they need and then even when people grow and change within the coaching program they can grow and change within the coaches like what we were just saying yeah. about the lady who shall not be named but congratulations congratulations I keep I keep being like this close to saying her name so we're just going to finish the podcast now yeah, yeah. well I um, love lovely. that thank you for your time and attention and brain thank you as ever for your time and attention if you want to talk to me about coaching or if you want to find out more about how to work with me head over to esgfitness.co.uk there is also lots of free information on the website and some worksheets which i hope you will find useful if you've enjoyed this episode i would love to hear from you please tag me in your stories at esg fitness or shoot me a message and if you think you know anyone who would enjoy this episode why not share it with them thanks guys